Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. evening we're going to be in first kings 14 and what did we see the last time and I, I try to also talk to those that maybe you're not real familiar with the old testament and you're not really sure what i'm saying so basically god's people the children of israel right they settle into the promised land and um, kings are, are risen up etc and then there's a split now in the northern and southern kingdom sad when god's people are fighting with each other but this is what's going on and you have King Jeroboam in the north, he gets a clear warning about his idolatry. We saw this in the last chapter. The young prophet comes to him. Uh, today, he still stubbornly persists in his idolatry. So God eventually has to deal with the situation. And this is bad stuff. I mean, the nation, unfortunately, will see it. the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. I mean, he's supposed to be God's people, and they're worshiping false gods and just weird stuff, getting involved in all these pagan practices. Um, and God can't just let that keep going and then keep, you keep continuing to have his protective hand over the land. It's just not going to happen. Um, so let's jump in, starting with verse 1. 1 Kings 14, starting with verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. So he remembers the promise God made him through the prophet. Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh, and she came to the house of Ahijah, but Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. So the few things going on here is that Jeroboam's son, Abijah, is very ill, and he wants to know his son's future, obviously. And as any parent, you'd want your kid to be healed. Uh, that would be your first concern. Uh, so he sends his wife to Ahijah, the prophet. Now, hopefully I don't get these confused. One of the points is going to be that you don't get them confused, but I'm, I'm looking at, I put them in capitals. There's a B and there's a J. And so you have Ahijah the prophet who uh, Jeroboam's wife is going to, and he's the same prophet that told Jeroboam when he was a humbler man, I'm going to make you king over the northern you know, kingdoms. So it's funny how people change over time. You know, sometimes people start with a humility and then they develop pride. But a few things here. Don't confuse Ahijah the prophet with Abijah, the son of Jeroboam. Now, the interesting thing is both of these men were good men. So that's the only real similarity that they have. Uh, two, Jeroboam, he knows he's a scoundrel. You know, and he doesn't go, why not just go and repent? Say to the prophet, yeah, you told me that, and God did keep his promise, and I really haven't kept my end of the bargain. He's just a very stubborn person. Um, and what happens is he sends his wife, which was kind of a cowardly act. You know, disguise yourself, honey, and, and you go to the prophet, and it's really sad. He doesn't, he doesn't man up, so to speak, and he sends his wife. Okay, so three, to make matters worse, his wife is disguising herself. Well, what does that mean? She's deceiving, right? She, 
Jeroboam has this plan that she's going to go as if she was just some person and she's going to ask the prophet and I have this issue and can you tell me and can you possibly heal my son? So it's kind of weird, you know, you're trying to deceive God through deceiving one of his prophets and possibly bribing him with food. Now Everybody loves honey, but, um, you know, I, I don't know that he sent her with the right motives. So she's got honey and some loaves and it seems like bribery to me. I could be wrong. The fourth thing is that Jeroboam is probably hoping uh, that Ahijah, the prophet, will, will heal his son, as in the last chapter. Again, there's no chapter delineations in the Bible. Sometimes chapters run into each other, and, and these were done centuries later. So I'm re- referencing the prior chapter, but these events happened very close to each other. So for the sake of... of what we're studying in the last chapter, we saw that uh, God healed Jeroboam's affliction because of his sin. Remember the young prophet, you know, the young prophet goes to the king and, and basically criticizes him for what he's doing in these, these horrible and idolatrous um, altars. And the king goes, arrest him. And then as he has his arm extended, it withers up. Uh, and something happens to him and he's, now he panics and he says, to the same person he basically wanted arrested. He says, can you pray to God and have him heal me? And in God's mercy, he did heal him. Okay, And again, he, he didn't learn through God's mercy. We're also going to find that he doesn't learn through God's discipline. It's a, it's a really sad place to be when you get into that situation. But um, again, here's the funny thing about all of this. The king knew where to go. Even though he was an idolater, he led the northern... You know, and the people... They could have made their own decisions. I mean, whether it's a king or a president, they could be doing the worst things in the world. And in the privacy of your home and your professional life, you're worshiping God. So just because the king was wicked didn't mean the people had to be that way as well, but they seemed to follow it. But the funny thing is, although Jeroboam was a horrible idolater, he knew where to go to get healing, right? <laughs> he knew to go to the true prophet of God, to, to, the, to the real God through the prophet, um, even though he's got all these false idol altars all over the place. So continuing on in verse 5, it says, Now the Lord said to Ahijah, the prophet, Here is the wife of Jeroboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in and she will pretend to be another woman. So it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. <laughs> Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have sent, I have been sent to you with bad news. Ooh. And it's amazing how there's so many man- manipulators in the world, and I think through our society, uh, it's just getting becoming an epidemic, and people are just so out to, for themselves. And when you're so self-centered, you have to try to manipulate others to get something for yourself. You want everybody to serve you, but. It's one thing to try to manipulate people and then another thing to try to manipulate God. And it's kind of weird. She comes in with a disguise and, and this whole thing. And even though Ahijah is going blind, God tells the prophet that the wife of Jeroboam is kind of coming to see you. So as soon as he hears the footsteps, he, he greets her, even though he can't see. So, you know, another proof that God is working in this man's life. He, he, the guy's going blind. How else would he know this? Verse 7, there's a big chunk right here through 16, it says, basically, go tell Jeroboam, your husband, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among my people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David 
and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free, and I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse or garbage until it's all gone. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel and the house of Jeroboam. So, you know, the son that's going to die is, is a good guy. Yes, we're going to talk about that. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river, meaning the Euphrates, because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. So the prophet doesn't just answer her question. He gives some, some depth. He gives some fuller. How did we get here? I don't even know Jeroboam's wife's name. But let's say her name was, um, I don't know, Betty. Betty, how did we get here? And he starts to, I have to do that. You know? So he starts to kind of give her some, some history, which she well knows. But just make sure you tell your husband this. You know, make sure you understand why these things are happening. Um, and basically, some people have trouble with this. You know, they look at the scripture. As a matter of fact, one of our college students came to me a month ago, and she said that she's in this class, and it's a biblical studies class, and the, the professor floored her by really saying something um, very unkind about God uh, because he felt that God is mean in the Old Testament. Now, you can read this out of context and come to any conclusion you want. You can read about Sodom and Gomorrah, and what happened to Egypt, and you can come to your own conclusions without filler, without context. But it's my job to give you the context, okay? Um, we usually, in, especially in this area, in the 21st century, in New Jersey, the Northeast, you don't see a lot of justice. You know, even somebody who did a crime, a horrific crime, and they try to get off on a technicality. I mean, we're used to this. We're used to this behavior, and it's wrong. There, there has to be justice. How many times you read about somebody that does something to a person and they get let out on a technicality only to do it to another person and then another person? And, you know, everybody's so concerned about the rights of the offenders. What about the rights of the victim? What about the second victim that shouldn't have, their life shouldn't have been taken because they should have been in prison or something after the first victim? We, we're just so screwed up in American culture. And I can't, sometimes that's a pastor's... Uh, difficulty is trying to help us to understand justice because we have a, a warped, society has given us a warped sense of justice. There you have it. But I said to her, I said, if you want me, I'll come to class, to your college class, and I'll debate the professor. So I got a smile out of her for that one. But basically, um, God goes through the judgment of Israel. He goes through the splitting of the two nations, right? Uh, after Solomon, the nation split. 
Jeroboam went from being a servant in Solomon's house to the king of the ten northern tribes. Wow, who gets an opportunity like that? But this is the God we serve. He will give us opportunity. And if we're faithful in the little, right, we need to be faithful in the much, and then he'll give us more responsibility. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case with Jeroboam. So what does the king do with the opportunity that God bestowed upon him? He slaps God in the face, pretty much. He sets up these false idols that he knows are not true. But he's, he's got such a competitive spirit with the southern kingdom that it's so weird. It's like, well, he's, they're going to go to Jerusalem and they'll eventually leave me and turn on me. Dude, who put you into the throne? It was God. And then God can maintain that. But he was so paranoid because of competition that he starts to set up all these false worship centers knowing that God is the true God and these things are not even real. It's so bizarre. The, the machinations that people go through in their minds. You know, I, I really get into the characters when I read this and I try to understand them. But verse 9 he says to Jeroboam, this is an interesting, you know, our vernacular is different in the Old Testament. They had their sayings, we have ours. But God says, you have cast me behind your back. Now there's a term, when I was a kid, and I'm going to tell you from my context, the term we called it, somebody was a user. Meaning they used people. Meaning they just went through life using this one and then using that one, and that's what they did. Um, but... There are people who are users. You know, Jeroboam used God, and then he didn't need him. And God still, in his mercy, kept trying to contact him and getting him to repent and get right, and he still didn't do it. You see, God takes it very serious um, to raise up a leader over his people. He takes it serious back then, and he takes it serious today. And it's sad because he wants those that he gives an opportunity. It doesn't mean he doesn't want us to be perfect, because we're not, only he's perfect. But when we fail, we go back to God and we, we fall on our knees. The best time to do that is when you're alone. And you just go to God and there's nobody else around. And you're like, you know what, Lord, I, I'm struggling. I'm, something's just not right. I, you know, I just I feel like I'm, I'm, we're distant. If we and God are distant, it's not his fault, it's ours. And repentance can cover a whole different, you know, repentance very, it obviously is sin. Oh, I sinned, Lord, I'm sorry. Sometimes repentance is the sin of omission where we, where we think we have it now and we kind of leave him, cast them behind our back in different type of stages or, or layers. Um, Jeroboam's was pretty bad. But he even says that David, I mean, David was a much better man than Jeroboam and David repented. David was David. Everybody loved David. Everybody, you know, he was a warrior, but he was merciful and he, he was a shepherd boy and he, and he killed Goliath and he rose his... So David was like a national hero. But when David was confronted with his sin, he repented. Jeroboam, he was a two-bit king, you know what I'm saying? To use a, an old expression. And, and he just, I, guess, I don't know if it's pride, stubbornness, but whatever. So what's, what's going to happen here, just to set the stage? Number one, Abijah, the boy, will die. And that's not all. The males eventually will be cut off from the house of Jeroboam. We'll see that in the next chapter. Um, We'll also see, three, a lack of proper burial for some of them. And, you know, it's, we, you know even in our culture, thousands of years later, to not get a proper burial is humiliating. Uh, so it was going to be a horrible thing for this. And um, also, in addition to that, Second Chronicles 13, Judah ends up defeating Jeroboam's army. Again, God's people are fighting with each other. How sad. The southern tribes um, and the northern tribes go to war, and the north ends up losing. 
Uh, and if that's not enough, in 722 BC, remember he talked about carrying the people past the Euphrates? If you look at a map, Israel is sandwiched between the Euphrates and, and you know, big, it's a big sandwich, <laughs> and the uh, Mediterranean Sea, and she's a small little piece of, of land, but there's an indicator that God's going to use the Assyrians, because we know this from history, to take the people captive and bring them, kidnap them basically, take them as slaves and such, and bring them past the Euphrates. And we know that Babylon later on rises to do the same thing with the southern kingdom. It's pretty sad. So the big question is, Pastor Joe, why would, if God knows everything, he has foreknowledge, he's omniscient, he knows everything, why would he allow Jeroboam to be the king? Well, I have a few answers for you. The first, I'm glad you asked that question, by the way. The first one is that the people deserve the king that they got. You know, I, I look at American culture and I see why people vote for, for yeah, and it's really sad. Wisdom, godliness, character, it's not important anymore. Who's got the, the slickest tongue? Who's going to promise all these demographic groups something? And you know they can't follow through on it. It's not financially possible. And that's why we're in the position we in, we're in. And I have to say that I think, I think that rougher days are ahead for the United States because a lot of people are voting. It's, it's amazing. We have free will to vote, and we vote for stupidity. I mean, I, I can't, I remember the, the one, was it mayor of D.C., Marion Barry? He was caught on tape smoking crack, and there was prostitutes and all this. A guy goes away for a while, comes back, the people vote him in office again. I mean, how stupid are we as Americans? And I, I don't use that word stupid very often, but, you know, it's like, God's like, oh, you don't want me. You want all these corrupt men and women. So the people got the king that they deserved. Number two, Jeroboam still made a choice. God gave him many opportunities to change his ways, as he does with us. We don't have to be the king. You know? God doesn't see you're important more than you because you make more money or you, you're a political. He doesn't see that. He sees us all as individuals that he loves. Repentance is a good thing. And again, God said, you've put me behind your back. Basically, it was a choice. Right? Jeroboam could have repented, but he didn't. So I wonder, how do you remain so hardened even after the death of a child? You know, Verse 13, what's tragic is that uh, Abijah was good. And he withheld this good man, this good prince from the people. It reminds me of Enoch before the flood, several generations before. Enoch was, was an awesome dude. He walked with the Lord. And God just took him. He scooped him up before the world was going to go through this terrible judgment. Sometimes God, see, this, is, this could be therapeutic. Sometimes God takes good people because they're good. And we look at it, oh, it's a terrible thing. Oh, poor kid. But God took him. Maybe he spared him. Maybe he spared him from corrupting influences. Right? Where does that leave us in our country? I, was, um, I remember, <laughs> sometimes I just look at political stuff, and I'm not a fan of either side at this point. But it, I remember, remember Robert Torricelli, he was running for something, got into some type of trouble, and then at the last minute they switched him out because his uh, polls were dropping, they put Lautenberg in. And you guys remember that? Nobody follows politics here? <laughs> and I remember watching um, a political show, and there was these guys from the Beltway, and they said, yeah, New Jerseyans have a high tolerance for corruption. That's sad. 
We, we live in that state as New Jerseyans where the people are understood from outside New Jersey. They have a high tolerance for corruption. We don't vote people out when they're corrupt, especially if they're going to promise us stuff. You know, I mean, I don't care if it's the, the monarchy thousands of years ago or today. People are people. Um, again, love is warning and love is discipline. Right? The, the boy, I believe, and, and when you read the scripture and you kind of go into the historical, he probably was a teenager. He probably was the prince that would come up next. He probably wasn't like a toddler. Um, they're speaking about in, in very good terms, as if he's at the age of accountability and he knows right from wrong. So he might have been a teenager, all right, but he was taken. The Lord took him through the illness. You know, sometimes on any given Sunday or Wednesday, people will show up at church, even this one, through tragedy. Um, I know of many who have gotten saved through tragedy. And who knows, if there wasn't tragedy, maybe they would have lived a long life, a self-indulgent life, and died not knowing the Lord, and then been judged. So tragedy, I know it's hard for people to swallow this, but tragedy could be a good thing. It could be something that brings us before the feet of God. You know, we, we, we have a, a spiritual mirror. We see that we're, we're flawed. We're, you know, we're, we're sinners. And God gives us a chance through Jesus Christ. So tragedy can be a good thing at times. Uh, verse 17. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant, Ahijah the prophet. You ever wonder why Ahijah didn't get um, healed of his blindness? There are those teachers that'll say that if you're really godly and you have enough faith, God will give you everything you want. And if you don't get healed, if you're sick, then you don't have enough faith. I don't think that was the case with Ahijah. Be careful of teachers who take scripture out of the context. The context is everything. If you hear a weird teaching, look at the chapter before, the chapter that they're espousing, and then the chapter afterwards, and usually will come to your own conclusion via the Holy Spirit. Even if you're not um, familiar with the passage, that something's wrong with this teaching. A lot of good people in the Bible, a lot of good uh, martyrs in Hebrews 11, that they died, that they were torn limb from limb in the Roman Colosseums. And they died a glorious death as martyrs. So Ahijah still can't see, but God is using him in a mighty way. Um, okay, so poor Betty, Jeroboam's wife, it's my, what's my name for her? She's got to go home and not only tell her husband the bad news, but when she walks in, um, the boy ends up passing away. And sadly, I think she suffered because her husband was a real jerk. <laughs> and uh, I've seen that. I've seen husbands completely um, in the marriage dishonor their wife uh, because they're just not good people, and it's a shame. It's a, it's a stain on the relationship, and I've seen the opposite as well. I've seen wives um, who are not of good character really hurt their husband's reputation, in a lot of ways hold them even back from ministry because the wife is, is just out for herself. And then I've seen the husband and the wife, they both have bad character, and they dishonor each other and the Lord. But that's what you have. Uh, Jeroboam, you know, this is what he does, sends his wife, not really fair. She gets an earful, comes back, gives to him, and, and apparently her son passes. Uh, verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, 
how he made war and how he reigned. Indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. Not for long. We'll see in chapter 15. So God's punishment is not always swift, but it is sure. God said this will happen. Well, Nadab took the throne. I guess it's not going to happen. Well, we know through hindsight that it did happen because we'll find out in chapter 15. That's what people do sometimes. They think, well, I didn't get struck by a lightning bolt, so I guess I could continue doing this. And that's didn't get struck by a lightning bolt because God's a merciful God. I really believe he gives everyone. He doesn't give to, then there are no special people in his eyes. He gives everyone chances. And a lot of times, multiple chances. Verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, now we're back to the southern kingdom of Judah, right? Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I know these names. Um, the only thing that separates them is one letter in, in the first part of their name. So we're talking about somebody different. Rehoboam, the king of the, the south, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed more than all that their fathers had done for they had built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and in every other green tree. Now these were not to worship God by the way. They spent a lot of time, a lot of wood, a lot of stone to build these ridiculous pagan altars to worship a lot of their neighbors' gods. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to the abominations of the nations, which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. God did all the heavy lifting, cast out a lot of these wicked, satanic people. And what do they do? They go into the land of milk and honey, and they say, come on back in. Come on back in. People are weird. I mean, what else can you say? So the southern kingdom now uh, falls into idolatry. And again, this is another thing that shows us that God is a merciful God. The first person who built a pagan altar, he didn't zap them, so the other people would say, ooh, we better not do that. God gives us ch choice. He gives us chance. He made us free moral agents. He lets us decide whether we want to follow him or follow this pagan weirdness. And it says, something that caught my eye, and I looked it up in, the, uh, in my concordance and such, um, perverted persons. When God is absent, there's a vacuum. And when righteousness and God is removed, that vacuum will be, will be filled by a lot of things. When God's not there and his precepts aren't there, perverted persons will fill that vacuum. I see these, um, these judges, these federal judges, who declare that the Ten Commandments can't be in a monument in front of any courthouse and some of them are etched in marble inside and they go through so much trouble to destroy the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments don't say be a Christian, be this, be that. It's, it says God in general. But, I mean, Ten Commandments was under the Old Covenant. I, I enjoy the Ten Commandments. the things I shouldn't be doing. But these, like I said on Sunday, man, these judges, they're going to stand before the real judge completely naked with nobody advocating for them. I wouldn't want to be them. Um, so people, they go through all this trouble because what would we do? We take the Ten Commandments out of school. We take it out of the courthouse 
don't kill, don't steal, you know, don't, do, don't lie, don't perjure yourself. Eh, we, we can't have that. So what's left? A vacuum. And anything can fill in that vacuum. I actually um, had an article, and I researched it, because sometimes you read stuff and you're like, that can't be. And I found out to be true. And I found out that uh, our military over in Afghanistan, and some of these cultures, some of these Middle Eastern cultures, they have this thing where um, the older men find boys from the village, seven or eight years old, and I don't want to say, but the worst thing that you could possibly imagine, they're like their little companions. And um, when our American troops were dealing with these Afghan commanders, they each would take a boy, they'd kidnap them from the villages. And some of our special forces guys gave a few beatings to some of the commanders, and I don't feel sorry for them, and said, stay away from those boys, and leave, you know, don't take those boys from the villages. Well, the guys who, who dealt with the situation got released from the military. They got let go. Because why? Because we're afraid of offending everybody. And the argument is, well, it's their culture. I actually saw an Afghani commander on YouTube talk about, well, my commander had one, so I wanted to get a boy. No shame. It's disgusting. And it's disgusting that we've come to a place in our country, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finally, I'm getting sick of it. You know, I'm trying to stick with the scripture. And over the last few months, I've seen such things that are so revolting to me that I have to speak out on it. I don't care if they do it to a boy or a girl. It's disgusting. And we're afraid of offending these cultures? Well, guess what? We're not only perverted people are, are filling God's vacuum, we're, we're putting our seal of approval on it. How long do you think it's going to be until God says that's enough with the United States? Even our influence overseas is depraved. I tell you, that, that video really bothered me, as you can tell. <laughs> Instead of saying, good job, they, they got rid of our guys to try to stop it. You know? Verse 25. Now it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he took away everything. He also took away the gold shields which Solomon had made. The king Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guards who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And so it was whenever the king went into the house of the Lord that the guards carried them and brought them back into the guard chamber. So Egypt today is, Egypt is still Egypt. Jerusalem is still Jerusalem. Those places haven't moved. And if you go on the map, Egypt is still very close to the southern part of Israel. Okay, it was back then. But God removed his protective hand from the idolaters, even though he gave them the land of milk and honey, he blessed them. When they started doing this crazy stuff, this satanic worship and stuff, he pulled his protective hand off, away from them. And if he's done that to his covenant people, Israel, where do you think that leaves us? Second Chronicles 12, let me just read a little bit more. It gives you a little bit more detail here. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. With 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim and Sukim, 
and the Ethiopians. So he had a, he had a lot of folks. Ethiopia is still Ethiopia. Actually, there's now a lot of Christians in Ethiopia, by the way. So that's changed. Um, there's a lot of Christians in Egypt now. Um, and actually, Egypt has a good working relationship with Israel. They're helping them root out a lot of terrorism. But the, the person we put up, okay, after Mubarak, um, he was uh, part of the Muslim Brotherhood, and thankfully the people spoke and deposed him because he was bad. I don't know what we're doing in the world, but our influence is, is really messing everything up. North Africa is that they've had all these rebellions and revolutions, and the whole Benghazi thing was because of that too. We keep backing the wrong people, and then we wonder why these things happen. And, and he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. That's scary. Scary. What if God said to us as the United States, you, you've forsaken me so the Canadians are going to come down from the south and they're going to take you over. You'll be speaking French and eating croissants and playing hockey. I mean, some of you might like that, but I'm being facetious. I mean, that's a frightening thing when a neighboring nation comes and attacks and you lose. You don't know what, what, if they're going to be nice to you or mean. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. That later came in the form of the Babylonians in Nebuchadnezzar. 8. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king's house took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. In their place, King Rehoboam made bronze shields and committed them to the hands of the captain of the guard, who guarded the entrance of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then he would take them back into the guard room. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely, and things also went well in Judah. That's why I actually named my son Josiah, because he was the king that Israel was on a collision course with God's judgment. And the king, king Josiah, he made the people. It was a national fast, repentance. We've sinned against God. He, he tore his clothing when he read the, the words of God that they found in the temple when he actually went and said, let's clean up the temple. The thing's in disrepair. And, and they find the, the words of God and they bring it back to King Josiah. And God says, because you, you did the right thing and, and caused a lot of people to change, I will stave off my judgment. Fascinating study of the kings. You know, I, I just find this stuff amazing. Okay, so what happens is God's protective hand is removed. Going back to 1 Kings 14, last few verses. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Then there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus, then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. So two idolatrous kings die, one in the north, one in the south, and their legacy is left in Scripture. And, you know, Egypt came and plundered. They took the gold shields. And the Israelites lost so much gold that they could only make the shields out of bronze now. 
as we talked about Sunday, bronze is an alloy of copper and tin, which is not as valuable as gold. So let's go back to Jeroboam and Rehoboam as we close. Jeroboam in chapter 13 wanted God to heal his arm, and God did in his mercy, and Jeroboam didn't change. In this chapter, he wants God to heal his son, and God did not. Sadly, he never appreciated the position that God gave him. He never asked for anything spiritual, right? And Jeroboam is a picture of users today, people that use. They use God. Sometimes they use the church. They'll use anyone to get worldly things. And I think about, I hear a lot of this preaching, uh, this prosperity gospel. And I've listened to many different, different teachers. And the one thing that I've never heard in all the sermons is one of these people preach what it is like to have a relationship with God. All I hear about is, Money, money, money. Health, health, health. Wealth, wealth, wealth. Success, success, success. Visualize it. Say it. You know, and it's like, it's like um, Eastern mysticism. Say it over and over again. Like you're convincing yourself and it'll become a reality. Is God a genie in the bottle? But I don't hear about a relationship with God. And that's the sad thing. I find it sad. Imagine how God feels. He created people. And, and so many of them are just not interested in him. And so many of these so-called evangelical teachers are not teaching the truth. Two, God will eventually judge sin. He is a righteous and just God. He has to. Three, again, why would God leave Jeroboam in that position? Because he truly gave Jeroboam a choice. And that was the, that's the conundrum for the Calvinist. The staunch Calvinist believes that God wills everything. We don't really have free will. So what does that say about a Jeroboam who spurns God's repentance, his mercy, his grace, and continues to sin. If God wills everything, that would make God the author of, of sin, which is weird. But you talk to a hyper-Calvinist, they'll tell you, yes, God wills everything, we don't have choice. Then why would God keep talking to Jeroboam as if he wanted him to turn? That is a choice. It's just so weird. There's so much weird stuff out there. Four, <laughs> you would think, <laughs> so you would think that the death of a, a son a child would shake the nation. The nation loved him. The nation loved Abijah. You know, and, and it didn't shake the nation. Everybody went on with business as usual. They went back to their temples and their idols and their little figurines and they did what idolaters do. Right? So what happened? Assyria came and conquered the north, Egypt to the south, and then the Babylonians. It's almost like God saying to his people, you want idolatry? I'll give you idolatry. Choke on it. Seriously, I mean, all right, that's maybe me. He's probably kinder than that. But, but think about this. God would rather his people go into captivity and be forced to worship idols than for his people to stay worshiping idols and, and, and enjoy all the benefits that he's given them and pretend that they're God's people. His attitude is just, just have it all. Have all the, the, the demonic, the, you know, the, the orgies. Have all, it's, go ahead. Uh, you're going to have it so much that all these foreign nations, your neighbors, they're going to take you out of the land and they're going to take you captive and you can have all the idolatry you want. And then the people, oh, it's, we feel so bad. Then they repented. Then, of course, God would let them go back. You see what I'm saying? So my question is, we're not a king, a queen that, that I know of. We're not 
Jeroboam, probably not as bad as him. But what is God trying to say to you or I? I've often said this in prayer, that I'll go and instead of talking to God, that I'll open up the conversation and I'll go somewhere quiet and I'll listen to what he has to say. Lord, even when things are good, what are you trying to show me? What's coming around the corner? What should I be prepared? What am I not doing right? How, am I running ahead of you? You know, Lord, speak to me. And that's the beautiful thing about a relationship with God is that, you know, it's like a marriage for better or for worse. And when it's worse, it's not his fault, it's ours. He's always better. He's the perfect spouse. But just to sometimes just sit quiet and ask the Lord, what are you trying to say to me? I know you were really banging on the door with Jeroboam. Um, are you doing that with me and I'm just not listening? God does have a path for his people. God does want to hear from us, but God also wants us to hear from him. Let us not become like Jeroboam, completely tone deaf to the spiritual things that God is trying to show us, but open. And, and I'll go one further, open, and then when something does come to your attention, and you know it had to be from the Lord, oh, no, no, but not that. No, no, no. We have to be open to everything. Because I've been in situations, I'll tell you this honestly, that I wasn't listening. And then by the time he had to get my attention, it wasn't pleasant. But even in that discipline, God is such a merciful God. So as his people, I would just say, let's be open to what he has to say. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.